Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. In this episode, we discuss all things bibliotherapy, how books and poems can help our well-being, and our first listener request for Dear Shelf Life. We hope you enjoy this episode of Shelf Life. Uh, welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. So my name's Paul, and I'm here with regular co-host Mabina. Hi, Mabina. Hello. Um, so this is episode 20, and it brings season two to a close. Um, so with more things happening in real life in libraries, we're taking a break from this podcast to focus on those. But I'm excited to do this one last episode first. Um, so we recently launched a Shelf Life listener survey, and the very first response we got to this uh, from that was someone asking us to do an episode about bibliotherapy. So this is a topic very close to our hearts that we've talked about uh, before, kind of off the air. So we've jumped on that idea by making it the focus of this episode. So Mabina, could you tell us what do we mean by bibliotherapy? So um, bibliotherapy, um, like many things, means lots of different things to lots of different people. But a generally accepted definition of um, bibliotherapy is that um, information, guidance and solace can be found in books. And I think bibliotherapy is one of the sort of core things for public library services um, all over the country. Um, about the fact that the books and the information that we provide access to can provide information and guidance and solace to people throughout any kind of um, life event, major life event, minor life event. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, in the podcast, it's also an opportunity for us to bring back the Dear Shelf Life feature that we kind of started a few episodes ago. So we're going to slip that in as well. Uh, but before we get to all of that, uh, Mabina, what have you been reading lately? So I have um, accomplished something that I planned to do about a million years ago, and I've started reading um, Marjorie Allingham's Campion series. So for anyone who doesn't know, Marjorie Allingham is a um, golden age crime writer who wrote this series of books with a detective called Albert Campion. And it's one of those series that's always sounded right up my street um, that I've never ever got around to reading. So I started off with the first one because I'm like that. I'm sorry to say if there's a series, I have to start, start reading <laughs> them in order. Um, and I loved it. It was very, it was kind of odd. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, it's, it starts off like a traditional sort of country house murder, but it gets very, <laughs> very peculiar very quickly. Okay. Um, and it's, it's quite, modern in the kind of things it addresses in some senses so you kind of assume it's going to be very like oh it was you know the butler in the pantry with a candlestick but it it turns out to be about sort of um organized crime and gangs and things oh, right. so um i really enjoyed it and i will be um going back for more as i say um i've also downloaded a load of patricia highsmith uh, novels and short stories to read because um i love her and I ha i'm having still having this weird phase of wanting to read everything she's written and she's a fantastic author but a really interesting person as well so um highsmith is on the agenda and i've also just finished a reread of circle of friends by Maeve binchy which is something i read as a teenager about a thousand years ago and um yeah i just found, i just wanted to reread it and i'm really glad i did she was a really She's a really amazing writer and she's very adept at sort of seeing the truth about people, even the, okay. sort of the truth they hide about themselves. She's very yeah. good at sort of showing a person's entire character 
in not many actions. So yeah, really enjoyed those. Oh, nice. Excellent. I've not read any of those, but yeah, I'm quite intrigued now. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've, well, I remember last year I was into, um, I've tried to get into nature writing and I just couldn't, like during the lockdowns and stuff. I was like hoping that would kind of help with escapism, but it just kind of lost me. I talked about how I couldn't get into Robert McFarlane. So I gave up on him and I tried some other writers and I've really got, got into it over the summer and things. And I've been reading some of the books that won the Wainwright Prize. Uh, okay. Like Amy Lipchop's The Outrun and where she talks about kind of dealing with alcoholism and living in Orkney and like uh, Diary of a Young Naturalist. Okay. I think that was recommended by... Um penguin books do this regular ask penguin thing on twitter and they literally recommended that to somebody yesterday <laughs> so you're <laughs> in good company yeah it's there. really good it's written by like a 16 year old or something and it's super impressive and loads of nature stuff but he also talks about his his sort of uh to know mental health stuff and growing up and relationships yeah. and and so it's yeah it's really relatable there's a lot of layers to it um and about sort of experimenting with getting involved in climate activism and things so yeah, that that was a really good read. I, I, I found that really refreshing. And the book that's really, I remember saying last year when I read Natives by Carla that it kind of, it changed how I see myself and my place in the world and the world. And so the book that's kind of done that for me this year was Braiding Sweetgrass by Wobbin Wallcamera. So she's like um, a First Nations American who talks about nature in kind of small ways and big ways so like small Mm -hmm. ways by talking about her own kind of little relationships like her pond and the sort of animals and things that she finds there but then also talking about the really big change um big sort of ecological problems and stuff as well as looking back at history of how sort of her ancestors were were treated and how their cultures were destroyed but also looking at some of how some of the culture has carried on of like respecting nature and things uh, I'm really not doing it justice. It's an incredible book that just like has all these little, little kind of stories that, um, yeah. that address really big questions sometimes. And I found it very, very compelling and, um, really got me thinking about ecology in a, in a new way. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. And also books I have not read and are not within my usual reading sphere so yeah yeah no it's nice chatting with people with like different tastes to be like oh maybe actually like yeah, it's like oh you've really sold that well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah let's do the dear shelf life yep so yeah, we floated this one a few episodes ago, but then we've always had too much to cram in with these people that we're interviewing and stuff that we haven't managed to fit it in. So I'm glad that we finally get to our first one from a, an actual an actual listener who's written to us, a real life listener. Do you want to introduce her? Yeah. Um, now for our not very regular feature, Dear Shelf Life, which is in the style of an advice column. We believe in the power of reading for well-being and helping us to take on life's problems. So we'd like to hear what elements or challenges you, the listener, have that may be remedied in some small way by just the right book recommendation. We aren't mental health professionals or anything like that, but we are passionate and experienced in libraries and reading. And between us, we can come up with some solid recommendations. We've had this query from Rachel. Dear Shelf Life, 
Do you have any book recommendations about being an introvert, e.g. being an introvert in an extrovert world, seeing introversion in a positive light, either fiction or non-fiction? Many thanks. Looking forward to further episodes of Shelf Life. Best wishes, Rachel. Firstly, Rachel, thank you for getting in touch and replying to our desperate cries on social media asking for queries. Yes. We're our favourite listener now, one of our favourite listeners. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with an obvious one, uh, which is Quiet, the Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. So this very much sees introversion as a positive light. It's kind of all about that. It's kind of gives plenty of examples of like psychological studies that help show the value of introverts and supporting her argument that we live in a world that, that maybe undervalues introverts. And so as I think an introvert myself, I found this quite a confidence boost. Uh, there's sometimes I wonder whether I really believe in the introvert extrovert binary and how much we really do live in an extrovert centered world i don't know that's up for debate for me uh, i don't know if you have any thoughts on that mabina i think there is meant to be like a, a middle thing where you're kind of an introvert and kind of an extrovert and i desperately can't remember what it's called i've heard the word ambivert thank you ambivert. i was like oh oh the yeah ambivert yeah. which is just everybody surely i think everybody is to some extent um, I like to think of it as like a sliding scale. So sometimes I think yeah. sometimes you, you do just think, I know I need to shut down and, and you know, just have some time to myself. And sometimes it's, yay, people. Yeah, uh, definitely. But um, my favourite study in this was actually one where people were paired up to have conversations with people who in like various different personality pairings and asked to rate how much they enjoyed the other person's company. And the study found that people most enjoyed being with people of the opposite personality type. So extroverts enjoyed being with introverts and vice versa, um, which I thought was really, was really cool. Actually, that was, that was quite interesting. So yeah, there's lots of things like that that I found interesting. That is really interesting because you would assume that like would be attracted to like, but maybe it's like a balancing thing. Um, this is also one of those books that I keep meaning to read. Yeah. I, I got a lot from reading it, I think. My second book is a novel, because um, you were saying fiction or non-fiction, so I've picked one of each. Uh, Prodigal Summer by Barbara Kingsolver. Do you know that one, Mabina? I do know that one. And she's another author that I keep meaning to read and that everybody recommends. Um, I think it's this and the Poisonwood Bible. Is the Poisonwood the Bible is so good. She's possibly my favourite writer. She's certainly up there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to make an effort then. Yeah, definitely make an effort. But yeah, Breaking the Glass <laughs> reminded me of her actually, because doing that thing of like really sort of close up kind of nature stories, then also then look at the big picture social context and ecological context and things. So yeah her novels are kind of always seem to have sort of nature in them, but there's a lot about people in there and mm. a lot about kind of maybe class and family dynamics and things. And so in, in prodigal summer, there's a lot of people who are quite isolated for different reasons, maybe by choice or maybe because their husband died or, um, or, or whatever kind of happened to them. And then about them kind of finding connections with each other. And then meanwhile, there's all this nature stuff about the connection, ecological connections. So it's, it kind of gets you thinking about human ecology and how much we need and depend on each other, but also mm -hmm. how much you can get from, from being on your own. Uh, and how we kind of need a bit of both of those things. And yeah. so I found it quite a nourishing book. It's, it's one of her more gentle ones. Um, I would definitely have to give that a go. Yeah, I found it really good actually reading. I reread it recently and kind of coming out of the lockdowns and things, thinking about being isolated and reconnecting. It was really good for processing some of that stuff. Cool. 
that's definitely going on the list. Excellent. Yeah, I'm almost. I'm wondering about putting Mae Vinci on my list after you talking. She's one of those writers that I think in my head I sort of stereotype as just being like, oh, that's not for me. But the way you've sold it, I'm like, maybe I should give I, her a try. Yeah, I just really love her. Um, yeah. And having said that, I haven't read her for years, but there was a phase where I think it was just when Tara Road came out, but I was really into her and Evening Class. I remember being a favourite, and I haven't reread that for years. But um, yeah, I really like reading people who authors who are really draw really detailed characters, hmm. and she's really good at she's really good at sort of somehow encapsulating like a person's whole past and what's going on in their present, just really succinctly. You never feel like she's kind of over elaborated or anything, but you really feel like you know those people, like you kind yeah. of know how those people would react in a situation. So yeah, so I love her. She's not yeah. for everyone, but I... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it sounds like she's worth a try, at least. Yeah, always worth a go. Cool. Let's get to our main discussion on bibliotherapy. Would you like to start us off on that? Yeah, so I was part of a um, small project that sort of involved bibliotherapy with... Um, Hertfordshire Libraries, who I used to work for, um, and we um, tried a project called The Book Doctor, which I was very, very keen on. Um, and the, the kind of essence of it was that we would have um, staff members who were, who had sort of, we developed a special sort of training module, but we had staff members who would be sort of floating around ready to um, do sort of bespoke recommendations for people. So, um, we sort of delivered lots of training on um, how to find different kinds of books and different resources you could choose and sort of different prizes and awards and things that were given out. So people had access to kind of this wealth of information about things they could possibly recommend. And then it was kind of a case of us um, doing what we call floor walking in the trade and um, just sort of being available to people, to, uh, available for people to come up to and say, you know, oh, I'd really like to read a book that's about – um, heartbreak, for example, mm. or I'd really like to read a book that has, um, you know, crime, but not American crime and nothing too gory or violent. So some people would get really, really specific with plot and other people <laughs> would kind of talk more about wider themes and things. Mm. But um, it's one of the questions I used to really love being asked, what should I read this? What should I read next? And um, I feel like people don't really ask library staff that much anymore, which is a real shame because they have mm. their, uh, you know, a treasure trove of recommendations. But this was kind of about um, going back to that, I think, going back to that whole, um, that joy that you, you know, when you find a book and you think, oh, yeah, this is, book is fantastic for this and then being able to recommend it to somebody else and that person coming back to you and saying, oh, my God, I read it and it was fantastic. Mm. Yeah, so it was a great project. I got to wear a lab coat, which my parents were very excited about. <laughs> Being a fake doctor was better than not being a doctor at all. Um, yeah, and we recommended books to people, and it was fun. So how did that sort of tie into bibliotherapy? What was diff what's different between bibliotherapy and just like any old book recommendation? Um, I think bibliotherapy can and has been quite sort of um, – scientifically is the wrong word, but there's a lot of evidence-based research around bibliotherapy. So it isn't just, a, oh, I feel a bit sad here. This this book will cheer you up kind of thing. Although I think there is an element of that to it. But there's been lots of um, 
you know, research and case studies and things done internationally, sort of looking at the efficacy of how reading affects, you know, either mental health or how reading can affect people's um, physical health, support them after diagnoses of um, illnesses or health conditions. But this project was really about, it was kind of twofold. Really. It was about getting staff away from the desk and sort of them being around the shelves so people would be more comfortable coming up and asking them questions mm. about things like sort of more personal matters, really. Um, and it was also just kind of reminding members of the public that this is something that we can do. This is something that the library can offer you. So um, one of the examples I always use is um, I remember um, being at a front desk and somebody coming in who'd just been diagnosed with, probably shouldn't mention what it was, but a health condition. And they had sort of come from the GP and they were very worried and they just found out about it and it wasn't life-threatening but it was life-changing there were there were significant adjustments that they were going to have to make and they they hadn't really taken in any of the information the gp had told them so they came to the library and were sort of i've just been told i've got this can you tell me more about it and that's i think another um focus of what libraries are able to do is, is mm. sort of provide information as well so sometimes it can be a oh i'm really sad what can i read to cheer me up but you know in other times it's it's actually quite sort of um evidence-based and fact-based and we have a you know as you know we have a lot of books that cover different health conditions and um we i think we're going to go on to this a bit later on but um mental health conditions as well mm. and there are there are lots of applications i think Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's sort of reminding me of something else you were saying in, I think, episode two or three of Shelf Life about um, disability and libraries and people learning more about their conditions and hearing stories from other people who've had similar experiences to things and so sort of feeling seen and and understanding more what's going on for them through libraries and through books. Yeah, and that's um, that's been my own personal experience of uh, mm. being a library user, is um, being seen. I think, or or just sort of knowing that there are other people out there who have gone through the same thing, or finding that piece of, you know, art or poem or book or literature, or even sometimes it can just be a paragraph in a book that you that just really beautifully, eloquently sums up exactly what you're going through and exactly yeah. what you're feeling. And I think that's a big, that can be a big part of it, having somebody else articulate that feeling. Mm, definitely. Um, actually, that leads nicely on to uh, some stuff from Julia. So our manager, Julia, uh, went on a course about bibliotherapy and uh, was saying that the focus of the course that she did was like on classic literature and on poetry in particular and the power of that to articulate emotions that can't be easily put into words and classic literature maybe helping remind you that those feelings aren't new, that people have always sort of been wrestling with with some of these things um, and that you're you're not alone kind of thing. And that's poetry in particular is a real passion of mine and I think that mm. is probably one of the reasons why because it it does so beautifully articulate something that you're feeling or you can read something and it, there's just that recognition 
that this yeah. someone has managed to give a voice to this thing that is inside you that you can't necessarily. Um, so one of the poems that Julia's course and Julia mentioned was um, actually one of my favourites, um, Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold. Um, and I studied this. I'm horrified to say it, it's probably about 20 years ago was the <laughs> first time I read this. Oh, God. Um, but it's amazing. Um, and it's um, Victorian. So that's going to get my mouth a bit wrong now. Uh, quite a few years ago now, let's leave it at that. Um, but I think, for me, definitely, it still resonates. Could you read it for us? With pleasure. Thanks. <laughs> so this is Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold. The sea is calm tonight. The tide is full. The moon lies fair upon the straits. On the French coast, the light gleams and is gone. The cliffs of England stand, glimmering and vast, out in the tranquil bay. Come to the window, sweet is the night air. Only from the long line of spray where the sea meets the moon-blanched land, listen. You hear the grating roar of pebbles which the waves draw back and fling at their return. Up the high strand begin and cease and then again begin. With tremulous cadence slow and bring the eternal note of sadness in. Sophocles long ago heard it on the Aegean and it brought into his mind the turbid ebb and flow of human misery. We find also in the sound a thought, hearing it by this distant northern sea. The sea of faith was once, too, at the full, and round earth's shore lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy long withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear, and naked shingles of the world. Ah, love, let us be true to one another, for the world, which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here as on a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight where ignorant armies clash by night. I love that. Thank you. Which I love, but it's deep. <laughs> it's quite depressing. Yeah. Um, it starts off kind of, yeah. oh, everything's, you know, the sea's calm. Come to the window. It's so, the night air is so beautiful. And by the way, everything's miserable. Everyone's sad. We don't believe in God anymore. <laughs> At least let us be true to one another, um, which I... Yeah. <laughs> Really love. Well, yeah, we've, we've all been there. Yeah, we have all been there, it's true. And, you know, <laughs> um, a man looking out his window down at the sea 200 years ago, yeah, gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think is the big one for me. Yeah, totally. Um, and the other one I really love, and I have to caveat this with, I don't just love sad poems, although I do <laughs> really love sad poems, um, is Time Does Not Bring Relief. By Edna St. Vincent Millay, um, and she is a really magnificent poet. And I almost got this memorised actually because I oh, love yeah. it so much. Uh, but this is this is a really classic um, heartbreak one. I think I'm trying to remember when this was written. Copyright is 1931, so in the 30s. Yeah. But this is "Time Does Not Bring Relief" by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Time does not bring relief. You all have lied who told me time would ease me of my pain. 
I miss him in the weeping of the rain. I want him at the shrinking of the tide. The old snows melt from every mountainside, and last year's leaves are smoke in every lane. Last year's bitter loving must remain heaped on my heart, and my old thoughts abide. There are a hundred places where I fear to go, so with his memory they brim. And entering with relief some quiet place, where never fell his foot or shone his face, I say, there is no memory of him here, and so stand stricken, so remembering him. And I think that is a classic. If you've mm. ever broken up with anyone, <laughs> that is a classic. Yeah, the grief and the rage and the and the delicateness. We were here. We were here. He was here. Yeah. And now he's not. And yeah. you go to a new place and they've never been here. I'm here without them. I yeah. genuinely don't yeah, know yeah. of anything that really encapsulates that whole, this time has gone and time is moving forward without you. Yeah. Any better than that. It's, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah one of the most perfect things for me i absolutely love it yeah i've not had that one before i really liked that i love it she's fantastic uh one like poetry but just thinking about what you're saying about poetry one that i i know a few people who have found helpful is the like blood axe series is it called being alive yes yeah there's a they did they've done a couple of similar sort of um sort of books to help you stay alive and books to help you grow. Um, there's another series I really love as well. Um, they're all edited by a lady called um, Daisy Goodwin, and it's like 101 right. poems to fall in love with. Or okay, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a whole series of them. I'm trying to remember what they're called, and I can't. But they're, she's fantastic, and she actually breaks them down into categories. So the okay, love one yeah. I remember has got, um, you know, waiting for your lover to ring or um, – there's a whole section of poems on that bit where you've just got together with somebody and how exciting and fantastic everything is. And right. and then there's a section where, you know, you're actually really sick to death of each other and you <laughs> wish you'd never <laughs> met each other. So they're really fantastic poems. Um, really fantastic collections as well, which I totally recommend. Um, but we've kind of talked a little bit about poetry now, but we also do... Um, some collections that are actually dedicated towards um, well-being mm. um, called the Reading Well Collections. And Paula, I don't know if you want to say a bit more about Yeah, so we've these. got, like with the Reading Agency, we've got a few collections. So we've got the Shelf Help Collection, which is for young people. Then there's various adult collections, books on prescription and reading well and things, which are, so some are really straightforward, like overcoming anxiety. And other ones are like collections of poetry or stories or things that, that can help. So yeah, I check out the Reading Well sort of website on the Reading Agency to find some of those or our catalogue or just the shelves. Like we've got a little collection in every one of our libraries. But then also for like ebooks and e audiobooks, we've got different sections. So there's a lifestyle and wellbeing section for, on Borrowbox. Uh, so Borrowbox does our ebooks and e audiobooks now. And so in that section, for example, uh, one that I read is Philippa Perry's book, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Would Be Glad That You Did, um, which I found helpful, even though I'm not a parent and it's a parenting book, but it helped me sort of get to know myself a bit more. So that was good. And there's also another collection on there is the self-care and mental health titles, um, which kind of does what it says, really. And so one of those that I read, for example, was The Art of Rest by Claudia Hammond, which... Um, helped you know remind me to sort of rest and was a sort of a nice 
mix of popular science and self-help and quite sort of conversational style with little anecdotes and things so yeah i find that quite a relaxing read appropriately enough it's really interesting how they they the collections kind of vary as well though because some of them are quite clinical is the wrong word but they're they're quite sort of again they're quite evidence-based and fact-based and and the overcoming series in particular is kind of written Mm -hmm. by um the oxford cognitive therapy center i think so it's very kind of based in cbt and very practical and then there's things like you were talking about the art of rest which is i'm sure equally based in scientific facts but more conversational style and the anecdotes so there there really is kind of something for everyone i think in the collection however Mm. whichever kind of style you like to read in which i think is one of the really great things about it yeah totally totally I still really vividly remember the first book I ever cried at, hmm. which is kind of a weird, weird segue into this. But, um, <laughs> it was the novelization of Shadowlands, which sounds really bizarre. But so for anybody who hasn't seen it, read it, watched it in the theatre, so Shadowlands is, a, is, I think it was originally a play um, about the author, C.S. Lewis, um. who found love quite late in life with an American um woman called joy gresham who died quite early on in their relationship i think um i'm i'm sort of summarizing wildly here so i'm sure i'm missing lots of nuance and things um but there is there's a bit in the film and in the book um and i think the screenplay was written by the writer william nicholson who's also amazing and you should read his stuff um but it's um the quote is something like we read to know we are not alone and that's always something that stayed with me. Um, and I think that's sort of, sort of, it's probably a big part of why I work in libraries and have worked in libraries. But um, for me, it really encapsulates one of the things we've kind of been alluding to throughout this episode about the fact that a lot of the time when we're reading, it's not just for information. And occasionally it's not because we're looking for a solution, but sometimes it's just for the solace that we talked mm. about at the beginning. Yeah. Sometimes that's why you're reading. You're reading because you need to know that you're not the only person feeling like this. Yeah. You're not the only person who's been through this or who's gone through this. Mm. And, you know, when you're able to be logical about it, you know, probability dictates that there is no one's ever the only person to have gone through something. But it's, I think, reading it, seeing it on a page makes a huge difference to people. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are some books that I always recommend to people, partly because I just think they're just <laughs> universally applicable for human experience. Um, so and some of the classics are really good for this. So Middlemarch is one of the ones I always think, yeah, all of human life is in Middlemarch or a lot of human life is in Middlemarch. Um, I don't know why I'm going back to George Eliot again, but The Mill on the Floss, I think, should be required reading for anybody who's got brothers any sister okay. out there who's got brothers should read Mill on the Floss because it's great. Um, I remember this was something else I um, did at university and I remember reading it and there's a scene right near the beginning where the young heroine, Maggie, who has a brother called Tom, um, is forever wanting to sort of be with Tom and, and do boyish things that she's not really allowed to do. And when she gets told off, she, she goes upstairs to the attic and she has a doll there, which she like hammers nails and things into and generally just sort of destroys because she's so cross 
and there's all this repressed rage and it's it's fantastic and and that kind of thing still i think is still applicable today there's this hmm. there is sometimes so much rage when you're a child when you're being mm. told you can't do things that you want yeah. to do that you do really want to just bash something <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah really hard um yeah and i think maybe we don't think about that enough um about the kind of examples that are available in literature and how comforting they can be yeah yeah i think um, we all do that thing where we have like comfort rereads and things um but yeah it's i don't know it's lovely sometimes to think that out there actually there's just, there is that one book that one poem or something that's the the key to everything that will unlock um how you're feeling or really kind of articulate you well yeah, um, yeah anything yeah, else yeah. but totally nice um, I kind of wanted to throw a, a little spanner in the works before the end. So, another angle on things. So, I kind of talked a bit about like self help books, that kind of side of things. So, I just wanted to talk to briefly mention a book that kind of does a critique of a sort of self help help approach, um, "Smile or Die" by Barbara Ehrenreich, which kind of so it critiques the idea of blaming the individual for problems that the sort of self-help culture is about kind of individualizing problems and that she kind of looks at it more in a societal way and is maybe more of a like you know let's get together and change our material conditions in order to kind of make ourselves less sad rather than deal with it as individuals um and so just to kind of bring that also like sometimes books that might be seen as like social issue books or whatever can actually be better for our well-being if they help make us more free or things like that so just to kind of throw in that kind of other angle on uh books for well-being as well i think she does have a point i mean I, i've kind of waffled on a little bit about now the, the magic of finding that one book or um passage that unlocks who you are mm. but also thinking that there is one book out there that's going to fix all your problems or fix mm. this particular solution or will give you the magic answer to something possibly possibly not the healthiest of approaches <laughs> i wouldn't sort of possibly wouldn't recommend just never doing anything but reading trying to find the answer to your you know financial problems probably right. not the best way forward sometimes you but, need to um, change your life but sometimes books can help you change your life and can help you change the world yeah they can they can be really good supports i think but yeah. there is kind of a certain amount of I don't know, being the change you wish to see, maybe. But even then, we're kind of slipping back into that whole self-help thing. It's a very seductive genre, self-help. <laughs> it's very um, – I kind of like the way it it makes you feel that there are possibilities and things out there. But, yeah, I can totally see where that book is coming from. Yeah, but I guess for me it's not, it's not an either-or. It's like use a bit of this, use a bit of that. And I feel like there's quite a few workbooks that are really helpful. Like I just read um, – Set boundaries, find peace. Oh, that's another one that's on my shelf upstairs. Yes, I know what you mean. I know the book you mean, and th there's a workbook coming out about it. I yes, think. so the book Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover Tawab, which is is very practical. Like it's got loads of things, and and there's a workbook about to come out. This is this <laughs> our entire podcast episode has been. Oh, I've got that. I really want to read that. <laughs> yeah, really yeah totally. So I, th I think that is th it for this episode. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Um, this 
it's possibly going to be my last, well, I think it is going to be my last episode as a co-host because I'm so, very sad to be leaving Bristol Libraries um, for a new job. So I just wanted to say um, thank you very much for having me and listening to me waffle on about books that I love, which is can be funny because I get quite inarticulate when I really love something. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just been really nice to record these and a uh, brand new thing for me to do. And um, a big shout out to the reader engagement team who are, who've been the team I've been working for. Um, Julia, our manager, Catherine, Claire, Vicky, Dennis, Charlie, and of course, my lovely co-host, Paul, who's been a fabulous, fabulous human being to work with and just generally be around. I'm going to miss you all oh, desperately. Thanks for being there. It's been so lovely working with you. And yeah. I'm really going to miss you. you. You're welcome to come back and be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally just going to come back uninvited. Just find out when you're recording and just, hi, I'm here. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been really nice. And I've really learned, learned a lot through working with you as well, like through doing our journaling for wellbeing and things like that. We've had a great run of it. Yeah, it's been really good. So, so thank you. Thank you too. So... That is it for this episode and this season of Shelf Life. Um, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on the usual social media channels. Also, because it's the end of the season, I, would, I also want to give a heartfelt thanks to our three longest running volunteers. So Luke, Sean and Will. Um, yay. Yay. All three of you have brought expertise, passion, good ideas and teamwork to this project. Um, you know, it's something that we're managing to do for 20 episodes. We've done pretty much an episode for a month for the past nearly two years, or the past year and a half or so, which is fantastic. So massive thank you to, to the whole Shelf Life team. So we don't know exactly if and when Shelf Life's going to come back, but there's so many people I want to have on the show. There's so much that there's still to talk about. So I'm really hoping we'll come back. So follow us on social media, Bristol Libraries, uh, subscribe to Shelf Life. And then, you know, when we post up more episodes or when we sort of announce more episodes, you'll find out about them. Thanks to Dan for the theme tune and Ollie for the transitional music. And thank all of you for listening. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.